Are you looking to modernize your veterinary practice by offering virtual care to pet owners? Fortunately, there's an easy solution from the podcast sponsor, Medici. That's M-E-D-I-C-I. Medici is a telehealth solution built for veterinarians. I've made it easy to check out Medici with a link in the show notes, or you can head over to their website, medici.md, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. Medici lets you text, call, and video chat with clients with their easy-to-use app. Send or receive images and videos of pets, stay VCPR compliant, and get paid, which is always a wonderful thing, for delivering convenient care right from your phone. Hi, this is Dr. Aaron Smiley, and I've offered telemedicine to my clients since I started. In 2017, I integrated paid telemedicine with Medici. Ready to go virtual? Visit Medici.md, that's M-E-D-I-C-I dot M-D, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. And with that, here's the show. Welcome to the Veterinarian Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Ivan Zach, who is a veterinarian. He's worked in ER medicine, launched and sold a startup called SmartFlow, and is the current CEO of Veterinary Integration Solutions. Oh, and by the way, also a co-host of a great veterinary podcast called the Veterinary Innovation Podcast. Dr. Zach, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I like the word veterinarian. I can't pronounce it, but it's pretty good. I like that. I'm going to steal it. Yeah, absolutely. You should totally steal it. And I think it fits you to a T from that perspective. And right before we kick things off, you kind of shared an interesting story that I don't necessarily know the ending to, but you had kind of adjusted and changed the way your name is. Because I asked, like, do I go by the full name or do I go to a short name? Can you kind of <laughs> share that story for everybody? Yeah, yeah. So when we started early with SmartFlow, and actually it used to be SmartFlow Sheet, but when we started with it, I was just learning about marketing and without knowing much, you know, we were shooting massive campaigns out. And then I was kind of experimenting with the uh, open rates. And I thought that if I'm going with a cold email as some weird Russian last name, is that different if I kind of change that? So I actually ran a marketing campaign. I think I sent 2,700 emails with the A-B test, and it was 17% less open rate for a weird last name. So I stuck with Ivan Zach, and it's too long to spell it out. So, but yeah, that's the story. Interesting. Yeah. And it is always fun to send emails, do A-B testing, see which one gets opened. Never experimented with my last name. It's a little easier to say, but one of the things that stuck out to me in your kind of intro for your podcast, you kind of shared your background. And one of the things you talked about was attending veterinary school in two different countries, which I don't think too many people have done in their lifetime. What do you think was really the two biggest differences? Was there any advantage or things that you learned that you've taken away? You want to share a little bit about that story? Yeah. So I attended the first vet school right out of high school in Ukraine. And then when I was in the last year, I moved to Canada. And then instead of trying to write the exams, there was a wonderful person named Cesar Bonilla. He was a colleague of mine. He was working as a technician and he tried to pass the exam, I think seven or eight times by then. And he said, don't do it, go to school. So I went to school in Canada and I actually went through the whole thing again. But the biggest difference between Ukrainian and Canadian vet school, I think, is the language. So it's in Ukrainian and Ukraine, but I'm just kidding. The, the reality is that, well, and it's changing now, but what I found, because I did both, and then I went back and I built a diagnostic lab in Russia, and I was teaching in the vet school a lot of things with just basic veterinary degree from Canada. I did have a superior education over the Russian or Ukrainian at that time when those countries used to be friends. And I think that they don't have the 
basics right or didn't have the basics right. A lot of people are very curious right now. They're doing spinal surgeries. They do advanced stuff, but the baseline is not set. There's no standard. So I've traveled a lot with SmartFlow. And uh, what I've found, you know, if you go to the UK, you go to European countries, you go to Australia, you pretty much, you know, that the veterinarian will have the same sort of set of skills and knowledge. But when you get to the countries that are a little less known or they're developing right now, there is that risk. So a lot of people that are newcomers to Canada or North America, they're always grumpy about how they don't let other professions into the country. I think it's relevant. Uh, so there is a big difference and it may become better, but if there was a standard sort of exam across the countries. So I think it was worthwhile. And I did start early. I actually was accepted to vet school in Ukraine when I was 16. <laughs> We were oh, right wow. after school. Yeah, I technically was a vet when I was what, 21. I was second time vet when I was 24, so it wasn't too much waste of the time. Yeah, that's fantastic and such an interesting journey to kind of get to where you're at today. Again, we talked about it. You started as an ER vet in your comments where you saw some inefficiencies, things that you wanted to change, and that eventually came to be smart flow sheets. Can you talk about the process, how you built it, what you thought about, and then just what that journey looked like? Yeah, it was interesting. We interviewed uh, Caleb Frankel the other day on our podcast, who's technically my competitor. And it was interesting to hear his story. It was very similar to mine. It was the inefficiencies that I saw in the emergency hospitals. I heard, I don't know who said that, but I really like this phrase that innovation comes from frustration. I was super frustrated with a couple of things in the emergency hospital and the amount of paper. I mean, it was all clipboards and there's software, but then you go from software right into the paper sheets that are hanging on the cages, but also working multiple nights and the shift work was so hard. And then I became kind of lazy. And when you're a veterinarian in the room typing up your records and then you need to check on your patients and you get up and go back to the, you know, ER where all the patients are settled. And then you need to look through every sheet and understand what's going on, make the changes. So you're making these rounds and rounds and rounds. And my dream was if I could still sit in the office and then in the treatment area, the nurses would have the changes that I want to transfer to them or to the patients and they can see them. And at the same time, when they record the vitals and give medications, I can see from the office what's going on there. So that was the concept. But it was cool because I pitched that to a friend of mine, Pavel, who became my co-founder. And he was a techie. And I didn't know I hadn't seen the guy for 18 years since high school. We were high school classmates playing in the same band. And I explained the concept to him. And what was cool, he explained to me that he was involved in a startup that was doing that for the restaurant industry. So when you sit in the airport and you have an iPad and you want to order your stuff, so it kind of sort of eliminates the step of the waiter asking for the order. So you put it in and it's on the big screen TV in the kitchen and then they assemble your meal and then they send the waiter to bring it out. So I said, I want exactly that, but I want that for medications and for the pets. So that's kind of how that was born and then it developed and then we were at 600 hospitals and that was the story. Yeah. And then you sold the technology to IDEX. And what did you learn in that experience as far as going through and having a startup that gets bought by obviously a much larger entity? And did you learn anything that you wish you would have known before? Because I think, and I had interviewed Robert Trimble from VEA a couple podcasts ago, and he is really trying to stress. And I think it really is up the alley of what you've already done is just encouraging veterinarians to think with innovation and how can they make the industry better and they can do things outside of just clinical medicine. So I would just love to kind of hear 
what that process looked like. Again, I'm sure you can't share everything, but I'm sure there was a handful of things that you learned that would be beneficial to someone else that may be going through that or thinking about going through that in the future. Well, I mean, the whole experience with IDEX, we've been, uh, I was joking to uh, Mike Erickson, who's a great guy who was a GM at that time. And then I took his place when I moved to IDEX, but uh, we were dating for, I think, six years. <laughs> and, you know, IDEX is a great company and they research the market and their business development is always looking for new startups. And I remember first time they invited us to Portland, it was like, oh my God, IDEX is inviting us. It was really, you know, a proud moment that this huge company noticed us. But it was nothing really that was happening for the next six years. It was like every year they just do their due diligence and monitor the market, and which is smart. And I gave this lecture at uh, Veteran Innovation Summit. It's how every startup is going through these inflection points. And based on where you are with your product, whether you're just creating proof of concept, whether you're minimal viable product stage or minimal commercial product stage, every phase has different set of emotions. And every time you're thinking, okay, do we push more forward? Do we get more funding? Do we sell? And that each inflection point, you kind of have these different routes to go. And I think it's sort of that window of opportunity when your mind is sort of set on whether you're tired enough, whether the price is right, and whether you don't want to dilute anymore. So there's a combination of feelings that you have. And it was a very right moment when I was getting tired because Pavel, I burned out that guy. It was hard at that point. So I was pulling all the weight. And then we were at Veteran Innovation Summit and I sat down with someone from IDEX and they said, so what do you think? Is this the time? And I was kind of at that point, it was that inflection point where the timing, the tiredness of my partner, and then the price was right. I said, sure. Yeah. And then from that, it was a fairly straightforward process. They made it a very difficult process, which is due diligence. And if entrepreneurs never went through it, it's you want to be ready for that. You don't want to just have, you know, your innovation screwed together and with no processes in the company, with no books in the, you know, in a row. And everything has to be ready before or you will be very, very stressed out during due diligence. So that experience, knowing that there is a carrot at the end of exit, I can only compare with colonoscopy with sedation. So it's not as bad, but it's like with a light sedation because you seem the future. But we went through it and then joining IDEX was very interesting. Certainly a huge reward for all the hard work that we've done. And they were very nice to me. I mean, I got to work with John Ayers, who is a phenomenal, just exceptional person as a former CEO before his bicycle accident. Jay Mazelski, who is a current CEO, I was reporting to him. This is experience that I'll never forget. And they recognize what we've done in SmartFlow and a lot of things that we've done integrated into IDEX. And I learned a lot there. So it was really great. It was also learning why startups after being acquired are not startups anymore. John Ayers likes to refer to this. It's from the book called Design for Business, I think it's called. And it's uh, how the company, when the entrepreneurs are starting their business, they're going from sort of the mystery phase to sort of heuristic phase. But then once it becomes the algorithm, that's really what the corporations do. They plug in the algorithm and then they really execute on your commercial goals and things like that. And I found out that I'm just not that kind of guy. I like building things. So therefore, I'm here building a new thing, uh, VIS. Yeah. And let's kind of jump into VIS. And you mentioned something about the building things versus managing and seeing that difference. Was there a time where it clicked where you realized that you aren't the management person that's going to see it out for years and years, but you want to get it started. 
And then kind of what was the inspiration on the VIS side, which is basically what I'm understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's kind of the consolidator in a box approach for KPIs and operations and making sure that you run an efficient business. Yeah. So the difference between the, you know, I did say that I think in our last podcast in the conversation that I like building, not managing. I usually kind of separate people into those that follow the manuals and those that write the manuals. I like to write the manuals and I like to fail writing manuals and do it again and fail fast. And to me, I think the passion is behind the delivery of the maximum value and creating a significant impact. And I think that it was smart where we were truly the first application that was on the tablet. People could do the cage side, you know, monitoring medications and everything else. You know, it felt like we made a difference. It felt like we changed something in the industry. And when you get into organizations that as well designed as IDEX, then your job is to move the needle. It's not to do something revolutionary because it's a public company and they have to execute on their value creation plan for the investors and you really risk averse. So that was really not my cup of tea where I, you know, I like to risk. I like to challenge myself. I like to put myself in uncomfortable situations and get myself out of them. So that kind of led to VIS. VIS right now being a year into it, I think it's a fascinating idea. When you talk like KPIs at dashboards, it really sounds very bland. But what we're really doing right now, if you know practice management systems for clinics, we're building a practice management system for consolidation. And that hasn't been done. There's a couple of products on the market. Some of them think that there are competitors. I want to tell them right away that they shouldn't worry about it because we're doing something that they're not. I mean, we do have dashboards, but I would love to partner up with any of them because that's a component. That's an important thing. But we really realized, and it took us probably nine months to understand how you can actually create a software where you are at you know, three levels of the organization of consolidation, executive team, regional management, and the clinic level management. And what do they do on a daily basis? How do they meet? What do they talk about? How do they solve problems? And the KPIs and dashboards just drive the metrics that guide their behavior. But it's truly like a consolidator management system, which we call consolidator operating platform. So that's sort of the background to it. I can't tell more because we're going through a patenting process as well. But it's a really, really exciting thing. And consolidation is really the hype of the beta industry now. I mean, we're getting contacted every week by someone who is wanting to consolidate the clinics. There's an arbitrage game. There's a huge opportunity in operational efficiency. But if you don't do it right, it's really, really tough business. And there's very few specialists that can do it right because you can find a really good vet that ran one, three, five, ten clinics. When you hand them 50, it's a totally different game. So it's an exciting time and it's an exciting time to be in this market. Yeah, I wouldn't ask you to share the secret sauce of what you're doing. You have to have that IP to make it go. But how do you view just consolidation in the quality of veterinary care as someone that's done it and then now working and seeing it on the other end? It seems like it's kind of a divisive topic where there's people that think it's really bad for the industry and others that think it's really good for the industry. Any thoughts around that? It is controversial, and I hate to take one side or the other, because I think it's just not done right yet. That's the thing. Because right now, the people that are consolidating the clinics, for the most part, as much as they tell veterinarians that we're not going to change anything, it's all about veterinarians, the top-level management of consolidation, they really need to execute on the value creation for their investors. 
And they work on that. And the easiest way to do it is to screw people. That's you cut the cost, you optimize things, and you don't really care for people. But that's a short-term game. That is expiring now. And the clinics, you know, there's fewer and fewer. I've done a lot of research in Europe, and I was there at about 60 to 70% consolidation compared to North America. In North America, it's 20. There's still a window of about 12,000 clinics if the plateau is going to be equal to the European one. And what we see in Europe that now they can't just buy and sell. They now need to think about how to operate these clinics and play not only arbitrage, but that operational efficiency. Well, to do that, you really need to start caring for people, not just tell them you do, but actually do care. So in a way, that sounds like I'm negative about consolidation, but I'm just saying that they need the right tools to influence what they're talking about, because they probably do want to improve the experience of people going through acquisition and then being consolidated. Because if you think about the impact on the industry that it could have, you could lower the cost of veterinary care, you could optimize the finances and afford more research. If you have big consolidators researching more things and funding those projects, it could be impactful and positive. But you need to preserve experience of people because veterinarians already more suicidal than previously dentists were leading. Now it's veterinarians and we're putting them through even more stress. So the dissertation that I'm writing right now is actually about that. So I just finalized the research. There was tons of people that contributed. I was trying to collect 1,000 people. We collected 1,500. And I was trying just to gauge between the different members of the team. So vet techs, managers, veterinarians, how stressed out are we? And then the part of dissertation that is sort of the literature research is, is there a management methodology that can improve experience and not let people to burn out? So I think what we're doing at VIS, we're actually trying to do that. So we're trying to take the positive that business and consolidation can bring to the industry, but then do it in a way that the experience is not as negative as it's perceived right now. So I think when consolidation is done right, it will be really good for the industry. But we're just getting into that phase, and I'm really hoping that we'll be the ones that will convert that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll be really interested to see when the dissertation's out to read it, look at the research. And I think that that'll be well received by the industry to check that out. Because, yeah, it's such a pressing topic that is so important for the future of veterinary medicine because there's been so many different conversations with people that have said, well, I wouldn't encourage my younger generation or younger me to go into this industry because X, Y, Z, and they kind of outline it. And it's like, there's a lot of great things about veterinary medicine. And if you can get some of the challenges solved, which every industry has its own challenges, but if you can solve that big issue, there's a lot of great things that are out there. And I think my mind's been swayed and changed a little bit with consolidation as I've met and talked with more people that are on that side of it. Again, there's going to be everyone that says nothing's going to change. And that's a lie. And the first person that said, we tell everyone that's going to change is like, thank you. I appreciate that because it is going to change. And there's going to be positives. There's going to be negatives, but it absolutely should change. If it doesn't change, then what's the point of you being there and consolidating the practices? No, I agree with you on that. And yeah, and I will publish the dissertation because all the people that contributed, it was tremendous support. But the interesting, just because we were going through the numbers on it, it looks like the younger vets are more burned out than those are the sort of around, uh, well, those that are over 60 are actually the happiest. So that was the interesting thing. So there's interesting data that is coming out. I'm trying to see how I can shape it. There's certain vision that I had for the dissertation. I just wanted to gauge how bad it is, but then we're going to slice it in different ways and post it in various blogs. So if you want to post it here as well, we'll definitely uh, supply you with the materials. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to see it. And I know AVMA at the Economic Summit back in 2019 had some research and study about the different criteria and burnout. And it looked like, again, same thing, younger associates, higher stress, more burnout, more challenges where you had someone that's maybe an older and, and ownership actually showed that it helped. Now, again, you don't know the ages of ownership necessarily, but you would assume likely most of those would be older. And it'd be interesting to see more data and more research done from other sources that would either say, yeah, that's true, or no, maybe it's actually just someone that's been older in the industry. And maybe just the changes and the demands of the profession today are different. And those that have changed and adjusted more are more stressed out because of what they could see as the consumer demands or the demands of others. So yeah, that would be great. And I would love to be able to post it and link to it and certainly we'll share it. Yeah. The interesting thing about the age and that is just my hypothesis. I don't know, it's a total brainstorm. But I think there's been a lot of research already done on millennials and how they're different from other generations. I went through this phase as a veterinarian. I've done two vet schools to become a veterinarian. Didn't last even 10 years, I think, total and switch to technology and now business. And I think that's sort of the character of the younger generation right now when they go through education and the philosophy or psychology behind it when you're going into a profession like a lawyer, doctor, veterinarian, or dentist, sort of the iconic person that works that profession is the guy who graduates from the vet school, works somewhere in a clinic, then owns a clinic, and then retires as a veterinarian, then sells the clinic and dies as a veterinarian. Well, that's not true anymore because after seven, 10 years, every single classmate that I had, or almost every, said, how did you get out of this? We don't want to do this anymore. I mean, some are happy and I'm happy for them. But the reality is that the things are changing so fast. And then if you don't get satisfaction from doing the same thing, I mean, I went into emergency medicine, which was supposed to be high pace and new case every day. You still expire on the amount of spleens that you can remove and amount of fractures that you can see. They're all becoming the same, and then it's a routine. And I can see how people are becoming frustrated because they invested so much money, time into this education. And then 10 years later, they hit the wall. And then if you don't pivot, this is where I think you can become really stressed out because you have all this student debt. You're not, that's your topic, so you can help them too. And then basically do something different with what you have. I feel so fortunate that I've sort of done that. I think it's a bunch of luck. I don't know how this happened, but I do feel like I'm not away from veterinary medicine. I'm just using my past knowledge into creating smart flow. And then from SmartFlow, I learned even more about the clinics. A lot of people asked me and said, do you miss practice? I said, I've been to more practices than you can imagine. We put it in 600 practices and I've seen them all. And I've seen all the people that work in there. And this is why BIS I'm so passionate about because it's really about improving the veterinary medicine from the veterinarian perspective. They know how to treat animals, but we don't know how to care about ourselves. So you know, our mission is to inspire veterinarians and medical professionals, if we get there, to live their passion. And that's kind of what it is about. Yeah. And one of the things that when I checked out VIS that stood out to me was kind of like the data without actions is pointless and trying to transform having all this data. And you kind of touched on it earlier as a consolidator, they can do more research as they are able to see trends and statistics from all these different hospitals. They can, maybe they lower the cost of care. Maybe they can develop new treatment or drug, whatever it is, but you can take so much of this data and see trends across the country or in a specific area if you have a lot of different clinics and hospitals. And so how do you think about transforming that data into actionable insights and how is like VIS going to work to do that? I know it's like a big picture question, so it's hard to answer, but. 
no, no, I should sharpen it. It's my elevator pitch, right? We're a startup. So I need, I need to be able to explain that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the truth about KPIs and metrics is very simple. It has to be actionable. I mean, that's rule number one. Otherwise, it's vanity metrics and you're looking at a bunch of dashboards and it's not guiding your behavior. It's really cool to produce. Again, as I said, there's a couple of competitors that they think they compete with us. They produce the dashboard and then you have the fire here. You look at dashboard and say, okay, cool, but we need to fix this. And then when those two are not connected, when your actions are not supported by the metrics, then they're vanity. So it's pretty simple. For consolidation, the actionable metrics are the ones that support your value creation plan. And value creation plan, some people call it differently, but basically for consolidator, value creation plan is something that you buy the clinics with. So when I go as a consolidator to a clinic, I'm saying, I'm going to make your life amazing because you're going to continue working as a veterinarian and I'm going to do one, two, three. Those are the things that I do better than you because you're a veterinarian and I'm a business person that can fix your, I don't know, inventory, marketing, and I don't know, patient throughput in the hospital. Those are the three things that I do really well. So a lot of people don't design that or they talk about it and they don't really focus on that. So the key is that's your strategy. So when you have the strategy with your value creation plan, what do you want to execute on? Then you measure those three things. And that's pretty simple. So everybody is really measuring finance only. And if you'll think about basic management, you want to have a balanced scorecard. And the reason why it's called balanced scorecard is because it's not lopsided to finances only. And this is, again, why people are stressed out because they say, oh, these corporates count only money. And they do because they don't set up proper metrics. So if I promise the veterinarian that I will do really well inventory, marketing, and operational efficiency, well, my three metrics at my boardroom should be always finances, yes. And then it should be my marketing metrics, my operational efficiency, and my inventory. And then that has to cascade throughout the organization. So when I'm talking at executive level to the regional management level, then we're talking about the same metrics. And then it has to penetrate all the way down to the hospital level. And then everybody should know that those are the four types of numbers we're looking at. Because when they're off, then you go back to the playbook. How are we fixing those three things that we promised? And you have the playbook as well. It's very simple. It's basically what you're saying you're good at, what you're telling your investors you're going to make money on, measure that activity, and then it becomes actionable. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Thank you for the overview and walking through that. Yeah. Breaking it down. That's good. The elevator pitch works. I like it. I'm in. <laughs> it's too long. <laughs> We're on 156th floor. <laughs> <laughs> you and Sean Wilkie, I think, have one of the best podcasts in veterinary medicine. And we talked about at the top, the Veterinary Innovation Podcast, which I'll link to in the show notes. Can you talk about why you launched it, the experience, some of the conversations you've had, and maybe a favorite I don't know. Favorite interviews are hard because then someone's going to get mad that you didn't pick them, but just topics that you've enjoyed talking about. Yeah. I'm not going to say the favorite episode because that's not fair to anybody. I think I love them all. And we've invited so many exciting guests and it's amazing how many people we actually picked up. I went through my address book when we decided to do that. And then we send emails and, you know, I have close friends that are very impactful in the industry and they liked it. They were guests. They have their own podcast, just like right now we're doing with you. And it's all reciprocity sort of exchange of interesting conversations. It started as just like everything I started. I started doing this because it felt like it was fun. We didn't have any strategy behind it. There's still, I don't know if people understand, we don't monetize it in any way. It's basically my way of finding out what's going on in the industry because I'm very curious about new innovation, 
we pay for it. It costs us money, but I think it will help in the long run with the connections, with marketing, whatever I do. So we just run it because it's fun. And there's two things that I do enjoy in the podcast. One of them is making fun of Sean. That's my favorite. And then the second one is just to have a chat with good people. In SmartFlow, we had this person that I dearly love. Her name is Sam, and she's from Canada. She was uh, one of the first employees in SmartFlow. And she used to say that if you don't give Ivan a topic, he can talk for four hours. So if you need longer, just give him a topic. So those are the things I like talking and making fun of Sean. And it seems like people like that too. So that's how the podcast was born. And it sounds like it's doing well. Yeah. And you can definitely tell that it's something that you two enjoy collaborating on and have fun with it. And again, it's easy to listen to podcasts and say, eh, this isn't my style or what I like to listen to. But no, I think the episodes are great. And you've had, like you talked about, fantastic guests that are talking about what is changing veterinary medicine, where's the future going. And yeah, I'm a big fan of what you guys have done. When you think about veterinary medicine, this can be anything. I like to ask kind of like, what's a soapbox topic or something that you wish more people understood or knew that maybe frustrates you, but just any topic, anything's game. Maybe we've already discussed it. Maybe we haven't, but any thoughts? Yeah, we touched on them. I mean, the whole suicide, burnout, I do feel like those things are not addressed. They're addressed from multiple angles. I think they're addressed from psychiatry point of view, psychology. You know, people are looking within. How do you become more resilient? How do you take care of yourself? I truly think that people didn't look at the business aspect. Like, how do you properly manage business so people don't burn out? It's not only veterinarian. It has to take care of themselves. I think that the environment should be set up in a way. And I wish that people were sort of more engaged in that because there's a lot of conversations about it, but I don't know if there's really targeted way of approaching and trying to fix that. So I'm hoping that this sort of research that we've done, plus the management strategy, maybe that will have an impact because I want to repeat the study after a certain time and see if we can measure better on the consolidators that we're working with. But the other topic, I think telemedicine, I'm just kind of sick of it. Everybody's just talking, talking, telemedicine, this telemedicine, that COVID telemedicine. It's just, and during the COVID, there's like 50 new startups with telemedicine because that's all we needed. But people don't really think about, well, I shouldn't say that. A couple of friends in, in the industry, they do think about the workflows. But it's just, it's, I'm tired of that topic. So this is like, people talk a lot about it. We'll see after the COVID. It will be interesting if it will be adapted better. Certainly other businesses turned into distributed teams. And I have two offices in Ukraine right now, and the teams don't want to come back, although they insisted on having it. So anyway, those are kind of the topics that I wish everybody understood a little better. Yeah, I would agree. I think there was more webinars on that topic that were floating around or discussions or new launches of we're doing this than anything else. So it'll be interesting. And hopefully, I think the concept, the idea of telemedicine is great. And there's going to be certain players that will stick and stay and do a great job that have thought about it. And then there's gonna be others that are flash in the pan, and they're not going to be around in the future. So yeah, that will certainly be interesting. But as we wind down, there's a lot of different things that we talked about. If someone's looking for more information, and again, I'll link to all this stuff in the show notes, where would you send them if they want to learn more about VIS or the podcast or you in general? Do you publish content anywhere? Just, I guess, where would you send people if they wanted to connect with you? 
Yeah. So the easiest if someone wants to connect with me is LinkedIn. I mean, just look up Ivan. I think that's my full name there, Ivan Zakarinkov. <laughs> so that's to connect with me. To learn about the podcast, just sign up. You know, it's uh, the easiest. Everybody has an iPhone, I guess. And uh, Sean has an Android. So <laughs> yes, I even made fun of him here. But yeah, just finding the podcast. So our abbreviation was for Veteran Innovation Podcast and for Veteran Integration Solutions, VIP. <laughs> but you can find it under it. So Veteran Innovation podcast find that on the podcast in iphone and then if you want to learn about more about the consolidation and what we're doing with that really follow our blog it's going to be deployed soon we're going to create pretty much a university around it of the business methodologies of how to run consolidation how to gain actually not a degree i shouldn't say but the special profession training in regional management or hospital level. So follow us on vetintegrations.com. There'll be a lot of cool stuff coming out on the topics that we discussed here. Perfect. Dr. Zach, I appreciate the time. Again, we could probably talk for four hours on other things and we didn't even get into what instrument you played in the band, but (laughs) we'll chat another time and I hope that we can connect sometime in person uh, when we cross paths. Thanks for coming. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you. And good luck with the podcast. I think that what you do is very needed in the industry and good luck with everything you do. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah is the founder of ID Financial Planning and Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor in the state of Indiana. The biggest compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is a platform that is predominantly how people listen to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us an honest review and rating. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information and insights and the ability to have your voice heard, please consider joining the private podcast Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll down to the about your host and click on the Facebook icon. Then I can approve you, let you into the group, and would love to hear from you there. Thanks for listening, and I'll be talking again to you soon.